Hi. Hey there. Welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, where we are just doing our damnedest to make the world 10% nicer. And we're super glad that you're here to help us get there by every means necessary. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant. And uh, today, 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 we are joined by my dear, dear friend, Cara Lancaster. Uh, as far as her, you know, nice work goes career-wise, Cara is a globe-hopping director based in Portland, Oregon. She's ridiculously talented and has directed several of my favorite music videos. But more recently, she's found herself, and she's found herself transitioning into an entirely new, uh, sort of at long last, wholly authentic life. And it's from this new place that Kara is now finding her voice as a human, as a woman, and as a, a fiercely intelligent compassionate advocate for the LGBTQ plus community. I mean, look, if you don't get the transgender community, this podcast, this episode is totally for you. Because there's nothing really to get. You know, after you're done listening to this talk, I think you'll understand that this also means that there's nothing for you to fear, find strange, or do anything other than just support you know, like you support um, uh, people who drink IPA, which I totally don't get at all. I don't get it. I don't, like not remotely. But I support their right to spend wild money on bitter, bitter beer. I just compared transgenders to bottles of IPA. I, I mean it in a really good way, though. <laughs> Sorry, I'm super tired. Uh, last night was 2CB and just hours of great conversation. I'm still really tired. I think, I think you get what I'm trying to say. I should totally script these intros instead of just trusting I can off-the-cuff them. Some people can. I can't. Not really. Anywho, Kara <laughs> and I, I'm cracking myself up. Kara and I talk about her transgender journey that started at the end of 2019. I, rem- I remember when she, when she told me it was a total surprise, but I also remember being super excited and super curious about everything. I mean, it's a really big deal. And I had no idea how to best support one of my very favorite people. You know, it's a year and a half later, and I'm still learning. I'm still putting both my feet in my mouth all the time. But I'm also sort of making a whole new friend. You know, you know, you know, you know what it's been? It's been fucking delightful. Okay, it's been delightful. Her journey has been delightful for me as her friend. We talk about her journey, uh, oh, we talk about her facial feminization surgery, which is just also a really big ordeal. Um, oh, did you know there's there's such a thing as pretty privilege? I didn't. I did know about the white male club card. Mine gets used every day, and Kara had hers revoked, uh, at which point she realized the need to transform from, uh, in her words, lazy ally to engaged activist. Uh, we talk about... The Reddit transgender community, IMDB, shame on you. Uh, the incredible band, a group of humans known as the Family Crest, and just a lot of other stuff. A lot of other stuff. This is the longest ever edition of the Nice Work podcast by like 30 minutes. And I know it's worth your time because a super nice world absolutely requires not just tolerance. Isn't tolerance is just such a low bar, by the way. I mean, can you imagine asking your partner if they love you and they say, well, you know, I tolerate you. It's just shitty. 
you know, we can do better than that. Tolerance is weak sauce. No, we want active love, empathy, and support for everyone. That's like 7.5% of the 10% nicer. Totally is. All right, a couple of quick items. Our Super Nice Club member of the week is Brian Trotter from Chico, California. Yay, Brian! Way, way, way back in the day, Brian Trotter, uh, at, at btrotter7070 on Instagram, uh, he worked at Tower Records with me. Uh, in fact, he was the assistant manager while I was just like a lowly clerk in charge of the hip-hop and international music sections. Uh, I also took care of the big wall of blank tapes. It was always like TDK versus Maxell. It was a thing, man. It was a thing. The reps were fierce. They made us compete. and yeah, It was crazy. Anyway, uh, Brian was such a super nice human uh, with just a deep love for our shared world. And he's been with the Super Nice Club since go. And we're super glad to have him, to have you, Brian. If you want to nominate a member of the week, just holler up. Just holler up. Forget, uh, forget, forget to subscribe. Yeah, forget to subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, there's a link somewhere on the internet. Just click around and stuff. It's there. Probably. It's probably there. This is episode number 59. All right, so here are some super nice 59s. I did write this part down. All right, so first off, first 59, and, and many of you no doubt will be fascinated by this. 59, check this out, is the highest integer a single symbol may represent in the sexagesimal system. And as you, I'm sure you know, this is also known as base 60 or sexagenary. A numeral system with 60 as its base originated with the ancient Sumerians in the third millennium BC, was passed out to the ancient Babylonians and still used in modified form for measuring time angles and geographic coordinates. Yeah, yeah, crazy, right? Hmm, who knew? Okay. 59, number of beads on a Roman Catholic rosary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the atomic number of praseodymium, which is probably not pronounced like that, but it's cool, which is a lanthanide. Looks like shiny metal stuff. Um, 11.59 is a song by Blondie from the album Parallel Lines. And, and just any chance at all I can get to mention Deborah Harry, I'm going to take it, which I just did. And lastly, the number 59 was on a button commonly worn by feminist activists in the 1970s, based on the claim that a woman earned 59 cents to an equally qualified man's dollar. That number is now up to 81 cents. So that's uh, 22 cents in 45 years. So it looks like we'll get parity around 2065. I mean, the polar ice caps will be melted before men and women make the same amount of money. Totally not acceptable. Okay, <laughs> ready? Turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to nice work with Kara Lancaster. Kara, Kara Lancaster, welcome to Nice Work. Really, really glad to have you on here, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? Where are you at right now? Uh, I'm in Portland uh, at my my home. On this oh, nice. this rainy Thursday, I've never I've never been up that far in Maine. Uh, I've been down to the southern tip, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> ah, low hanging fruit, Portland, Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I know you're there. Lovely city, Portland, Oregon. Yeah, it's really nice, and spring is coming too. Every week, there's like a day or two that's in the 60s, and it's like getting out there in a t-shirt for the first time in months. It's like it's really nice. And that spring in Portland is, is, is it three or usually four days long? It's like a week. Okay. Yeah. 
I've I spent some springs in Portland. It's been a long time. 29th and Northeast Cooch, spelled couch. I don't. It's one of those. It's one of those tells, right? Like if you say couch, you're clearly not from Portland. I got yelled at actually when I first moved to Portland. I like drove up here. Actually, I came up with uh, the Family Crest, the band that I work with a lot, and um, and I was apartment hunting for like a week and looked at an apartment on Cooch Street, and I called and I was like, "Hey, I'm calling about the house on Couch," and like the woman just sounded like she was gonna lose her shit she was she was not happy about it she's like it's cooch street like you californian yeah Mm -hmm. that was that was very sassy very sassy (laughs) so since this is the nice work podcast tell us what you do for a living real quick but just to get it out there we're gonna we're gonna come back we're gonna circle back to it but after we chart this course together through your big brave bold beautiful <laughs> how many more bees journey you know that you're going through right now um so what are you doing what, what do, when people say what do you do what do you say um i tell them that i'm a freelance filmmaker because it's it's a bit hard to like to really encompass you know i've spent spent years as a cinematographer and and kind of like co-producer type and Mm-hmm. I've spent a couple of years directing a lot of stuff. And right now I'm doing a lot of editing because of COVID, um, doing the remote thing. And so, yeah, just kind of all encompassing. Behind the camera. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about that because I think you've done a lot of really cool stuff, stuff that I've enjoyed. And we'll put links to it and all that, of course, so that people can can watch it after, after the talk, not concurrent, because that would be really confusing. Don't you think? Like if somebody's watching a music video of yours while listening to this podcast, would that be a little confusing? I think it would make it more interesting. Okay. So that's it. Go to the show notes, look at the links, play it while we're talking. It's fine. <laughs> just get right to it. What what incredible decision did you make just over a year ago? End of 2019. That's yeah, when I got a phone call from you, I think, was right around there, beginning of 2020. Mm-hmm. Actually, I was at your house. I was I it was it was in person when I told you. Was it? Um, yep, yep. I was, I was up. I was in Santa Rosa for, um, for a shoot actually, and I was staying with you at your house. Oh, that's right. Okay. And I, uh, I decided to, to, to drop. You were the first person that I told, actually. I think so. That's, that's kind of fun to like throw back on this. At least the first person outside of like you know my girlfriend at the time. Um, but I am you know like a year and a half deep into a gender transition. So male to female transition, um, just been, been kind of like going through that gauntlet. Um, and what a gauntlet it's been. <laughs> yeah, it has, but I will say you can't, you guys can't see Cara. I can, she looks great. She looks beautiful. She's, uh, you go to the, I, I hate to send you away, but go to her, her Instagram page. That's a great thing to look at while we're having this conversation because there's are there before and after shots up there? The the ones you sent me, the the process. Oh no no no! Those that's the that that's just like that's that was for you. Those are oh, those are right. Todd's it's, eyes only. Still go. Still you're go like you're like you're the inner circle. So there's like because the inner circle been... the less, that gets to see the ugly shit, and then like everybody else gets to see the less ugly shit. So yeah, but none of it was ugly, which is incredible because you've always been a really good looking human. So you've had that going for you. But this has been as your friend, it's like always just been eye popping. Like, Oh my God. I just, yeah, 
very successful. Let's just say this. It's been a very successful journey so far for you physically, but mentally there's just been so much going on. This has been a, a wild challenge for you. Yeah. Yeah. What would, it really has been. Would you say that there is a single biggest obstacle or has it just been a huge no, it's, life it's assessment? No, it's a really, I think the biggest, so the biggest obstacle, first of all, um, you know, thanks for the compliments and everything. It's really important. I think to just lead with the fact that like in the transgender community, uh, both trans men and trans women, um, pretty privilege is like a real thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, like I'm everybody who has a, a, a good transition as far as, um, like, you know, their hopes and dreams and all that stuff, um, is very happy about it. But at the same time, like I, can't help but like feel so deeply for the people who get, um, you know, the people who are at the the butt end of things like bathroom bills and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I can go into a women's restroom and no one bats an eye. Like they'll talk to me. They'll like ask me for a tampon or something like that, you know? And, right. Right. Um, but there are people who are equally valid who, who don't fly under the radar in that way, even if they want to, you know? So it's, mm-hmm. So I just feel like that's kind of an important thing to say. Um, but the the biggest challenge has just been, it's been the internal work. Like I personally spent 35 years raised culturally male. Um, yeah. 35 years is a long time to have a bunch of stuff ingrained in you. And, uh, and when you're a year and a half into undoing social programming, which is mm-hmm. exactly what it is. Um, you know, you think about every, like I was accepted into male spaces and, you know, I was an avid rock climber and, and like we had a locker room at the gym and like, and I was friends with people who were very vocal about like what they thought of women and, you know, all that stupid water cooler talk stuff. And so mm-hmm. um, I think this is kind of heavy, Um to be like right off the bat. But I think that being a human in Western society, in a lot of societies actually around the world, especially a male comes with a certain idea of what femininity is and what, what being a woman is. And I think that even women fall victim to this. I think that there's just like a permeated, um, thought throughout our culture that says that things that are masculine are more important and better and stronger and more capable than things that are feminine. And you just kind of grow up thinking like men are better than women. They're better at sports. They have the better jobs. They direct all the big movies. They, it's like a huge deal when a woman does something that a man normally does, you know? And, And just like whether it's true or not, which is absolutely not, um, that it doesn't matter. It's just, it's just, we all get it through osmosis, just through the process of being raised in society and not, not just in a, in a closed room, uh, like a vacuum, you know? Yes. And so, um, so yeah, I think the, the largest challenge by far when you're switching genders (laughs) is getting over all of that shit. Like I had to first come to terms with the fact that like I am a woman and then I had to come to terms 
with all of my own chauvinism. Wow. And so you're going from, it's interesting to, to hear you say that. It's like you're going from the majority class to the minority class in a way, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. Overnight. I mean, if you, if you think about it, I had a, I had a, a, a white male like club card mm-hmm. my whole life that allowed me to go anywhere I wanted in the entire world. And when I talked, people listened and you know, like I didn't have to do anything to earn respect from people. My existence didn't need to be justified in any way, shape or form. And um, just the other day I was like having a conversation with somebody at a store uh, is a GameStop. I was trying to buy something like a piece of video game equipment. And, um, and I was with my girlfriend, I was asking for this thing. And the guy before I even finished explaining the version that I wanted, just like turned around was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll check in the back. And like, he walked away and I turned and I was just like, why is this person not listening today? Like, why are people not listening to me? Cause it was like the second time that it happened. And she's like, because you're a woman now. And I'm just like, dang it. <laughs> so does this make you more political in any way? Absolutely. There, there are things that like, I, gosh, I wish that everybody, I wish that all cis people could just like dive into my brain because, um, I'm not one of those, like I've had dissonance within myself since I was probably like 12 or 13. I didn't know the word transgender till I was 20 or 21. And at that time I was living in the Bible belt in Nashville, Tennessee, Mm -hmm. um, the the loopholes and the the medical gatekeeping and all the stuff like I looked up how to transition back then and was like no way there's just no way I'm going through this process um, the landscape just wasn't wasn't there um, at least for me personally and so I kind of just buried it and got along with my life and I was just like you know how many people do you know in your life want like who want a million dollars and this is like everybody, but how many people have to live really fulfilling lives without ever having a million dollars? Also most people. So it's just like, I, I treated gender like that of just like, you know, I don't, I'm not happy with who I am and I'm not happy being in the body that I'm in, but I'm going to make the best of it. Do you know? And that's like, everything that I've done in my career and everything that I've done up until a year and a half ago is just literally me trying to make the best of a bad situation. And, um, so I wish people could just dive into my brain because, um, because in that, all that time, Mm -hmm. like I never thought about things like representation. I never thought about things like, um, like obviously you see injustices, you see things happening in the world that you don't agree with, but like, it's not personal to you. You don't really have that, especially as a white male, like you just don't have that. Like, yeah, you might have like economic struggles. You might be like poor and have things that come with that in your life and um, be stuck in like the criminal justice system or something like that. But the interesting thing is that like, it wasn't until I started transitioning and started running into just like little micro interactions. People have been really nice to me throughout like my process. Some people Mm -hmm. get like a lot of hate. Some people get shit yelled at them on the streets. Some people get beaten up. Some people get murdered. Um, 
I know people who have been on a bus and they've just heard people being like, oh my gosh, you see that chick up there? That chick's a dude. And they're like talking to each other. And it's just like, oh my God, we should beat their ass. And like, you know, stuff like that. And it's just like, wow, I was on a bus. And like, you know, now I'm scared for my life. And, mm-hmm. and so it's like, so you kind of have to be like when you, when you start building a community of these people that you identify with um, and you realize that like, while my personal experience has been a very good one, the people that I know and care about are going through hell and back sometimes. So you just have to become political to some degree. And then all of a sudden you understand everyone else's struggles, like all the other people who have to be political, who don't make that choice. It's not like a character trait to be political. It's a necessity and it's just like for survival. It's like, I don't want my rights to be taken away. I don't want some Supreme Court decision to come down and like suddenly make it so that my birth certificate that has my new legal name on it is invalid and I now have to like get a passport with my dead name on it and um, a driver's license with my dead name because I have long scrubbed all that stuff. Do you know, like that person doesn't exist anymore. Do you ever feel, do you ever think that, wow, before I went through this, I should have been more political. Does it ever make you feel bad? Like, Oh, I just, I was, um, not paying enough attention or is it more just a situation where like, there's no way I could have known until I actually walked in these new shoes. It's, it's kind of like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't blame people who, who have no skin in the game um, Mm -hmm. for not really standing up. Like I do think that allyship is important and I've my whole life, I've been an ally to women and an ally to minorities and, Mm -hmm. um, and that, but even then, like, I would say that I have been a lazy ally, um, like lead by example kind of thing, like not getting up and yelling, not, not being loud about it, um, standing up for, for what I can, if I see something, um, that I think is wrong in person. But other than that, just, um, you know, I kind of, you know, lead, lead with love kind of thing has always just been my thing just relentlessly treat everybody well yeah um even if you kind of think they don't deserve it because the reality is everyone deserves it it's a great point to make just that you know being leading with love or being nice to folks it's it's easy to do it to your family to your loved ones to your personal community the real challenge of whether or not you're kind of a nice person is whether you can do it to people who don't deserve it or people you don't know Extending your empathy, extending your kindness outward beyond where you know will be reciprocated and seen and noticed, right? Because we have this tendency to really want to be rewarded for for being nice. There's nothing wrong with that. Being rewarded feels great. But, you know, the next level is when we approach something close to altruism, right? Yeah, it's it's a, it's an ongoing effort. It's a mindset. It's like if someone cuts you off and like leans their head out the window and yells some obscenities at you, or if somebody calls you a name on the sidewalk or whatever, like I'm at a point now where the, the absolute first thing that I do is tell myself that I have no idea what their situation is. I have no idea where they woke up this morning. I have no idea what's happening to them in their lives or their, their circumstance or experience. It's not on me to judge. 
you know, the only thing I can control is how I react to people. And I think that like a lot of people don't really do that, you know? Um, and, and as far as like the whole political side of being transgender, um, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had online with people about like trans women in sports or whatever, and like where people are making super, super detailed arguments against basic rights mm-hmm. for, for my people. And then like, at some point, the more you like counter with, with science and the more you counter with like other facts and stuff, they'll be like, Hey, I mean, don't look at me. I have no skin in the game. And it's just like, what? Like someone told me that just a few days ago, like I have no skin in the game. It's just like for having no skin in the game, you're putting a lot of effort into like low key invalidating a lot of people's existence. And so if you have no skin in the game, just shut up. If you can't be an ally, just shut your mouth, you know, like don't say anything at all. Don't, don't play some devil's advocate argument over the rights of a human being just because it's a fun mental exercise for your like super privileged ass, you know? I'm hoping there's a lot of, a lot of claps and applause out there. (laughs) There should be, there should be. Uh, Amen to that. What, where, when you were going through your process, where did you get the most support from? Where did you go to for support? Where did I get the most support from? Um, Well, you were one of those people for sure. Oh, um, absolutely. Like I have larger a wonderful community. friend group, uh, larger community. Well, this is like, you know, take it or leave it, but freaking Reddit. Yeah. Reddit. Is- I remember you telling me about your, your Reddit community. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I was, I was with a partner at the time when I, um, when I finally, like I spent a year wrestling, do I start hormones? Do I not? What does this mean for my life? Am I going to lose my career? Am I going to not have the ability to work anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, all this stuff. And then finally was just like, you know what? I'd rather like lose my job and have to figure something else out and like go down this path. So um, we split up at the same time that I started hormones and um, I didn't know I had never met a trans person. I had never had a conversation with a trans person, male or female um, at that point. And in fact, I think it wasn't until I was on hormones for like three months before I ever had a conversation with a trans person. So I was like very alone in this, not to mention COVID happened like around that time also. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, COVID happened about three months later. And so it was just like, wow, I like live alone. And like I was in a band and I was rock climbing four or five days a week and stuff. And then all of a sudden, like no more rock climbing, no more band, live alone, going through this process. All of my friends are cis people. So no one like everybody cares, but no one gets it, which just kind of leaves you. It's like eating empty calories or whatever. You know, you could talk until you're blue in the face, but you don't actually feel heard. Right. It's like by no fault of my friends um, or family. And but like it was it was reddit it was like the community on on reddit and there's some like toxic stuff there and but like it was really great they were like i feel like i got a lot of the first bit of confidence that i needed um by just reading people's stories just as many of people's stories as possible basically so for anybody listening to this is interested in in learning more within the reddit community is there a particular community? How, how do they find support within Reddit? 
Um, there's like, you know, there's like a Reddit slash MTF and then FTM for, for male to female and female to male. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like R slash transgender. There's R slash, there's all kinds. There's, there's like a handful, you know, there's an entire subreddit dedicated to self, um, self-prescribing hormones. Wow. If you like, if you don't have insurance and you can't afford mm-hmm. a doctor, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can figure out like where to get the stuff, how much you need to give yourself, like all this stuff. Um, so it's like, it's a really great support community. Um, and I don't care what anybody says. I've gotten a lot of shit from, especially even people in the trans community when I'm like, oh yeah, I just like go on Reddit. Or he's like, oh, you can't, it's, that's the internet. Like Reddit will eat you up and like all this stuff. I'm like, Reddit has been they were a godsend, you know, I'm not there really much anymore, but I even, I go back every once in a while and post just as a way to like give back Mm -hmm. uh, because I know how much people who were like, you know, a year and a half into their process, like reading their stories made me so hopeful because it's so, it's so hard to like start taking some pills and you're just sitting in this like male body and you're just like, when is this stuff going to work? You know, yeah, when are remember, people going to start calling me ma'am when I go to Best Buy or something, you know? Well, you and I would have phone calls, conversations, and uh, you would tell me about these exchanges you had, people that you met on Reddit. And I know they were very valuable to you because you had all these perspectives. You dove in and just read a lot mm-hmm. and learned a lot. And I, and I know you mentioned even at the time that there's a lot of toxic stuff on there as well. Um, but even that is helpful to a degree, right? Mm-hmm. Because it it's practicing online. It's kind of toxic stuff that you might experience in the real world. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, getting, you know, uh, making a post about something and like talking like just so much support and so much like, oh my gosh, I feel the same way. Like, blah, blah, blah. You're like, oh, great. I'm really not alone. And then you get like a couple DMs and you read them and one of them's like, you're not a woman. You'll never be a woman. You're just a guy who is confused. And you're like, huh okay, well, that's wrong. So like delete, (laughs) you know, like I just don't give time to any of that kind of stuff. And like, um, to this day, like, you know, it's, it's a good prep. Like I'll, I'll, I'll make a post on Instagram, like my one year on hormones photo. Mm -hmm. Um, I posted a photo with like a little cupcake and a one, one candle in it. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I've been on hormones for like a month. And then I got so much at 600 likes on that photo or something like that. And a lot of people saying like really great things. And then in my private messages, it was just like dick pics and like (laughs) other sexual solicitation. Sorry to laugh. It's awful. I know it's terrible. Like I never like, you know, when I was, when I was, as I say, like when I was um, like pretending to be male, Mm -hmm. um, I, I just never thought those people existed. I never thought that 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 side of the internet was like a real thing. It just it just didn't it didn't dawn on me. Like I've had I've wonderful men in my life, just like the best, and everybody's so respectful and just great and considerate and kind and emotionally intelligent um, men, and I just didn't realize that that existed. <laughs> 
like really lewd stuff too. Like things that you read, it just makes you blush and you're just like, dang. A lot of women listening to this are just going, oh, well, welcome to the club, sister. Uh, yeah, I know. We've been getting that for a long time, mm-hmm. especially That's- on the dating apps. There's, you know, friends of mine, the stories, the stuff that they get, it, it, it's terrible. And oh, it's, it's yeah. similar. It's similar to you in that I, I'm always surprised. Really? Like people do that? Like, no, not just people, hundreds of people lots do that. Of, I'm like, lots God. of people do that. <laughs> yeah, because I, I mean, we surround ourselves ideally with the type of people we want to be. And so I can honestly say I don't have men in my world. I have, I have, to, I have to correct that. Like, you know, if okay. you're if you're a smart person, if you if you are like aware of the world and your place in it, you surround yourself with people that you want to be. A lot of people I do feel like um, default to spending time around people that make them feel better about themselves. Yeah, there is that. There is, uh, I'd say this countless times, I'll say it again, that that mediocrity more than misery loves company. Yeah. And that's a hard thing. Sometimes you find yourself in a period in your life where, you know, maybe you're surrounding yourself. And that sounds so elitist, but it's just true with mediocrity. And, and it's a hard thing to break free from because when you're in a circle like that and you have big ideas or a big dream or something, mm-hmm. people around you can reflexively, not maliciously, but just reflexively try to hold you back because when you move forward by comparison, they feel like their lives look like they're not going so hot. Yeah. And I, I can't even, you know, in that whole vein of like not being able to presume anyone's situation, I can't even listen to something like that without reframing it for myself as like, Mm -hmm. for some people, life is just hard. You know, a lot of people don't have a college education paid for them. A lot of people don't have a stable roof over their head or um, when they're a kid or parents who love them or whatever. And and like so for those people and I met a lot of those people, especially in Tennessee, especially like out in the middle of the country. And um, For a lot of these people, life is just like a freaking slog. So you're kind of like in that way, you're looking you're just looking for people that you can commiserate with, like just people who make you feel not alone. Even if they're not good people, it's like for the first time in your life, here's a person who like shows up for you, even if they're like kind of objectively a shitty person for whatever reason, they're good for you, you know? And so it's like, yeah. who who knows, but like why? Um, so if you're out there listening and you're a sender of dick pics, just stop. That's all. That's that's our PSA. I guarantee Just, you. I guarantee you, Todd. I'm gonna get a dick pic from doing this podcast. Oh, uh, text you when it happens. No. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell me, but don't text it to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, I won't do that. <laughs> um. uh, so you were in Nashville, and and I love Nashville. We've been to Nashville together on a project. We have. And you yes. you beat me at darts after an epic battle. You ended up crushing me. <laughs> yeah. You beat me at everything. Is what I beat sucks. you. At, I beat you at darts in Atlanta too. We played a lot of darts that trip. We have played a lot of darts. <laughs> so Portland, though, has been a great city for you to be in for this. Am I right? I mean, hypothetically, so far, yes, the bulk, I came out publicly June of 2020. So before that, I was like in, in quote unquote, boy mode. 
so basically like all of the time that I've been me and like had my legal name and all this stuff, it's been under COVID. So I don't have the experience of like going to a bar and hanging out and like actually having community. I have a very small COVID bubble. And so I see a handful of people. And other than that, it's like going to the grocery store or like going to, to Best Buy or some shop because I do everything I can to not buy stuff on Amazon. <laughs> and, um, Amen. and so all my interactions are with like store clerks, <laughs> basically. But yeah, you know, it's kind of great. You can, um, no matter what you look like out here, you're fairly safe. You could walk into a, a, a grocery store wearing like a stormtrooper outfit and, and people will kind of just like shrug <laughs> and it's get Portland. on with their life. Yeah, it's Portland. Like, absolutely. What has been the biggest unexpected hurdle for you in all of this? Can you think of something that you just weren't prepared for? Well, I mean, the big one was realizing how much like built in shame and stuff that I had just just injected into me by society that like it wasn't an intention. It wasn't any like active thoughts that I had. And then when I dug deeper and just like realized that I myself had had unresolved misogyny against women and it was like wow i have misogyny against myself like that's Mm. strange like that's a that's a mind trip right there to like put all this work into accepting yourself and realizing that the big hurdle is that like the broad category that you put yourself in is something that you take issue with so i had to like i had to do a lot of unlearning of stupid stuff like that and that like you know you don't see that coming Um, right you don't see that coming at all and that's Um, going to be a process moving forward for some time yeah i mean yeah i i tell people that this is probably like this is this is for all intents and purposes gonna be like a three to four year process this could be a completely made up number who knows my guess Mm -hmm. is three to four years just to get my foot like footing right and i'm only a year and a half in you know so i'm still figuring it out like it's still when someone in in a public space um like says my name to give me like my bagel that i ordered like my ears perk up a little bit every time i'm just like oh that's right that's me you know and like i just had this like crazy face surgery um and i still wake up now you have a crazy face or the surgery was crazy (laughs) the surgery was crazy (laughs) and i have a crazy face both of them but like i just i wake up and i i catch a glimpse in the mirror and i just like i i still just can't believe that what i see is me um Mm -hmm. you know and and i just i have spent since i was like 13 years old or like basically as soon as like puberty started hitting i i've had this kind of like feeling of like kind of morbidly wishing that all of my family and friends could like die in a plane crash so that I could be who I felt like I was. Um, that is a little morbid. Yeah. You know, like but that was nine the, and only, a half on that was the only scenario in which I ever saw myself going through with this, you know, and then it just got like stronger and stronger and stronger and worse and worse and worse, you know, and then fast forward 22 years or so. And I just like pulled the trigger and everybody in my life has been freaking amazing, you know? So it's like, it makes me wish I did it earlier, but can't spend too much time thinking. I know people will be wondering, so I'm just going to ask, what do your parents think? My parents, um, it took my mom a little bit of time 
Like, obviously, so I have, like, my parents are wonderful. Like, the I was met with immediate, um, immediate well wishes of just, like, you only get one lap around this, this universe, this life. Um, so, like, do what you have to do. Um, mm-hmm. Now, it's easy to say that to somebody who you've known for 35 years and who you raised and who is your, like, little child and you have all these memories of them and stuff the reality of understanding and accepting that the person who you've known all that time isn't necessarily the person that you've known, that they've been putting up quite a bit of a front to try to, to try to survive. Um, Cause that's what it is. It's just a survival mechanism. And, you know, so it took a little while, I think for, for my mom to understand that like I was going to be safe, that she wasn't going to be ridiculed, that, um, you know, that she wasn't going to have to spend the rest of her life worrying about this person who in her experience is now her daughter, um, you know? And, and so yeah. it took a while. It took, it took us like it's about a year, but she, she stepped up. She read a bunch of books. I'm really, really impressed with, with the effort that she put in actually, like it was really great. Way to go, mom. Yeah, way to go, mom. And um and, and my my yeah, well and my my dad, um my dad who was a very like strict influence on my life and had had such a strong sense of propriety and and what you do and don't do in public and stuff like that as a child. He's like loosened up. He's he's kind of opened like a flower um in like the later part of his life. To the point where, like, I told him and, you know, my stepmom was just like, for some reason, I'm not surprised at all. And then my dad, like, it's still one of my favorite memories of my dad. He, like, scheduled a phone call with me because that's what we do. We schedule our phone calls. And for, like, an hour and a half, we just chatted on the phone. And he, um, he very thoughtfully, I could tell, had, like, listed questions and he asked them each one by one and he listened to the answers and every every word out of his mouth came without judgment. It was all like very curious, like a place of curiosity. And then at the very end of the conversation, he's like, well, um, and keep in mind, I just started hormones. So like, I didn't even really know what my future was going to look like. I certainly hadn't like, you know, picked a name or anything like that. But yeah, and then at the end of the conversation, he just said, um, so it kind of like doesn't really make sense for us to call you, you know, by your old name anymore. So like, have you thought of a new one? <laughs> and uh, and like that alone, Great question. Was, that was like the most, that question is just kind of the most supportive thing that he could have possibly asked. And, and from then on, I just never really worried about him. Oh, so that's, I love that. I'm very lucky. Dude. Very, yeah. very, very, very lucky because I know so many people who like don't have now, like having said that, like when we have phone calls, like the last time I talked to my dad on the phone, he, um, I heard him like slip out a, a he every once mm-hmm. in a while, you know, because like that part takes a little time. Uh, it takes time. It takes time. It's, like not necessarily on... that hard. I still don't right. think it's that hard because like if we can, if we can learn the genders of our friends' pets and not screw those up like we can we could swap but like how many times does your parent accidentally call you by your sibling's name uh yeah i haven't seen my dad in person in like over two years so like we need facetime we need this like 
both of my parents, all four of my parents need to spend time because I haven't seen a single one of them since I've started this process. So they need to like spend a week with me as I am so that it makes sense. And once it makes sense, I'm like, I'm going to glue things in a little better. I'm yeah, sure. I'm confident that they're going to like, oh, well, okay, got it. As your friend of eight years, it is for me, sometimes I've it, it definitely makes you hyper aware of the words you're using and wondering, oh, did I just screw up? Because I often sort of use the word dude or man gender free. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just have for years, oh man, to the men and women in my life mm-hmm. or dude. But when you and I are talking, sometimes I'll say, you know, dude or man, I'm like, oh no, I hope that wasn't taken as a reference to, because I'm always using it in the really sloppy California way. Yeah. I mean, and I'm like, I know, I know quite a few women, cis women who hate that, like absolutely hate it. Um, I also kind of hate it. I make an excuse for like a handful, a small handful of people in my life who I have personally witnessed them referring to all of the women in their life that way, um, conversationally. And I'm, I'm planning on phasing them all out. So be ready <laughs> yeah, for that. Be ready. Yeah, for the, be ready for like the trigger to be pulled at some point of just, like, I'm fine with that because it's something that for a long time I've tried to correct myself on anyway. It's just lazy talk. It's lazy speech. And you hear yourself doing it. Like, ah. See, I um, live in the South. So I just love y'all. Like, like y'all is just such a wonderful, like, I don't say you guys to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. I'm a yaller as well, and that's from uh, growing up in Redding, California, where they they uh, they pretend that they're from the South, the California country. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they 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 feel like, or maybe they they all came from the South originally, but y'all is definitely something in northern 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 California that mm-hmm. that uh, it's I think it's kind of cute. I was hanging out like a week ago with a trans girl, and accidentally like a dude slipped out of my mouth. And I was like, right. who are you? And how long has it been since you've done that? Like, I thought I kicked that habit. Um, so it's just like, I don't know. I just, Like, if you ever screw anything, like PSA to anybody listening, if you ever screw that kind of shit up for someone you know who's transitioning, like, mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world. Just like, all I would ask on behalf of your significant other or your friend or whatever Um is to to just like don't make a big deal out of it. Don't be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Just be like, oh, sorry, and then say the right one, and then in your head say it three or four times in a row. Mm. Like, all right, and like if you're if you have someone who's transitioning in your life, just sit on your couch and be like, this is my friend Kara. She is blah. She is this. She is that. Like, Kara's great. We like Kara. Awesome. Retrain the brain. Yeah. It's like, you just have to do it. Like, it's, it's, I think that's it. People get caught up on the like, oh, it's so hard. Pronouns are difficult. But it's just like, no, just practice like a little tiny bit and it's fine. It's like not scary. And we endlessly freaking appreciate it. <laughs> We're going to do another PSA, <laughs> another education moment here on top yeah. of that. Because you guys, <laughs> y'all, yeah. this is something that, that we're going to, as a culture, talk about more and more, normalize more and more. Whether you like it or not, doesn't matter. It's here. 
where it's a, a new way of, of encompassing and appreciating more and more of our population. So this conversation and conversations around it, we just have to have them a lot. So we're doing some PSAs here. Here's another one. This one is on the topic of dead names. Yeah. Right. Dead names is something that was on my periphery just because I live in the United States in 2021, but wasn't something that was personal to me until Kara. So this is an important one. This is a really big one. This is an accidental trigger that can be really hurtful. So will you explain the dead name <laughs> concept and, yes. and uh, yeah, this one's, help us out? This one's real powerful and real simple, at least in my mind. Um, you just assume, assume the worst with all this kind of stuff. So being born and assigned the wrong gender at birth and having to go through X amount of your life. In my case, it was like 35 years. Some people it's 22, some people it's 15, some people it's 50. Um, mm -hmm. either way, it's a lot of years to like, not be right in your, in your soul. And that's like traumatizing. It's a different level of traumatizing for every person. And so often I personally, when I filled out all of the court order for the name change and like got my new name going and got my new birth certificate, my new social security card and driver's license and passport and my airline accounts and my bank accounts and my junk mail, I wrote hand wrote letters to all the credit bureaus, like a lot of work, a lot of work. It's like if a woman gets married and changes her last name, that's like a little bit of work to get your name changed and everything. And you still get mail to your old last name and stuff like that. If you're transgender and you want to change your first name, holy crap, it's like probably 20 times the amount of work as if you got married. Um, it took me full-time effort because I'm self-employed and can put two or three hours a day into this kind of stuff and researching and all that. Um, it took me two and a half months of solid everyday effort and making phone calls and writing letters. I had to buy multiple books of stamps because I was writing so many letters. Um, a lot of effort goes into shedding your dead name like it's dead skin. You, you brush it off of you like you had spiders in your hair, <laughs> you know, like you, you get rid of it. And the, there's a long process for trans people, if it ever even happens, to kind of like reclaim your past and to be able to look at your old past and, and understand that like who I am now, that's who I was then too. I just wasn't showing it, you know, I wasn't allowed to let it out. And it takes a long time to like reclaim your history in that way. And so, yeah, there are some people who are like, oh yeah, it's fine. Like if you're talking about a past memory of me, you can use my old name. Yay for those people, you know, but I, from my anecdotal experience, the vast majority of trans women never want to hear that name ever again. And if I, if I even hear someone talking about somebody else, who has the same first name that I used to have, it's like a jolt of electricity. Like when I hear it, it's like um, everybody has like that, that little bit of trauma response of like, um, 
like if, if a teacher, when you're in fourth grade says a word out loud, really loudly to the classroom and it like happens to rhyme with your name. And for a second, you think you're in trouble. You're like, oh crap, I'm getting called out right now or whatever. Like, it's like that. It's when I hear that name, I just immediately, my, my world shifts in a negative way. Like it's, it's painful. It's, um, it's shocking. So yeah, I would say, assume that no one ever wants to hear that ever again. So once you know of someone's new name and pronouns, those are the names and pronouns. I transitioned a year and a half ago. If you tell a story, you know, you Todd, if you tell a story about something that you and I did, a trip that we took, Iceland, we went to Iceland together four or five years ago. You know, I went to Iceland with my friend Kara. She and I Mm -hmm. had a great time. It's that easy. Like, you know, even if in your brain space, I don't look the way I do now in your, in your memory of me. Um, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. That's an interesting thing is that it's only been a little while, but already this is humans are amazing. We update our memories, mm-hmm. you know? So my memories of you are not, they're, they're undergoing sort of a fuzzy phase right now. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know, I've noticed that. I'm like, oh, wow, that's weird. Now, if you take my memories of photos, myself are doing you know, that. Now, imagine a time before we had photographs, right? Before we had photographs, the human brain would only see itself maybe in a pond or in like a, a stalagmite or something. You know, there were just some shiny or like a polished piece of silver. Yeah. We didn't have the ability to look at ourselves to look at an archive of our older selves. Mm -hmm. So we really didn't have these connections with our physical appearance, what we looked like at eight, nine, 10. We didn't know we were always what we were in the moment. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So the advent of being able to archive that first through paintings, if you're a wealthy, noble person, and then through photographs, I have to think that that has changed something in our brain structure or is changing something in our brain structure, in our ability to perceive ourselves for the first time in multiple tenses. I don't know. I'm I'm getting off on a tangent here, but. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I feel you. It's as I know that there are a lot of things about me that are going to follow me for the rest of my life. You know, like I'm a filmmaker. I have an IMDb profile and Oh boy. You know, I, 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 yeah. We're calling you out, IMDb. <laughs> I, absolutely, IMDb. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with them. And like, they would like change my name on the header of my profile, but then every one of my projects would be like Cara Lancaster. And then in parentheses, credited as dead name. Right. Every single. So it's just like, wow. So you took the big dead name off of the top of the page, but then you replaced it with 35 little dead names halfway down the page, you know? And then like freaking bless people like Elliot Page, people who are really public who come out. Um, it It's a little annoying when someone who's like famous comes out and suddenly there's this like, this huge, huge like step forward. Mm-hmm. 
when like so many of us just like the people behind the camera have been fighting this stuff forever um and then all of a sudden elliot page comes out and then i go to elliot page's profile and they certainly fix the issue with elliot page's profile it's just like wow okay so elliot page is important enough for this to happen for but not me so i wrote them again and it's just like their whole thing is like we need to be accurate and i was like this is the film industry this is not important this is this is entertainment. This is not like your freaking IRS records or whatever, which are arguably also not important or shouldn't be. <laughs> but like, um, it's not like this is a government agency. Like, who cares if my name in a credit on IMDb, if you like pop in the DVD of this one short film that I did that was never distributed and see in the credits that the name doesn't match like oh no <laughs> like who cares there goes the imdb integrity exactly and I, I i can't tell you how many times i've had that conversation with somebody on their staff of just like do you understand that somebody's feelings um and i'm not talking about that you know like snowflake feelings someone's entire sense of validity in the modern world because we're not at a place where trans people feel safe or good in public. And so it's just like, that is so much more important than the accuracy of a fraction of a percent of your profiles being dead accurate. Mm -hmm. Like screw you guys. All right. So if anybody has any connections with IMDB, And can help us out. Uh, there are a lot of people, you know, I'm here in LA. So there are a lot of people that are having this struggle with IMDb. It's not just you. There, it's it's a topic of conversation in the transgender community. Um, I have to think that we'll get there. Yeah. One of these days people will realize that like humans are more important than your stupid data. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just like I've had to, I've just had a lot of interactions. I'm frustrated. You could tell like they have fixed it kind of, you know, like yes. like it doesn't show my dead name on my profile anymore. But if you click on the project and open the projects page, <laughs> then it dead names me on the project page. So it's like you you at least have to search a little bit for it. You know, it's just it's just like one of these days, one of these so days. How, how much has your your process impacted your work do you feel like you're able to present yourself the way you always have have you mm -hmm. had any i know it's been it's been during covid so i know it's difficult but do you feel like prospective clients are looking at you differently like what what is possibly the... possibly okay. so so my my career has always been a little bit odd um i think you know this i have this like weird inability to do stuff just for money <laughs> So I, I already have said no to a lot of stuff throughout my life, especially in the music video world. But like I, while transitioning, turned down every in-person shoot opportunity that I got because I wasn't ready to be around people. Like I directed a music video when I was like a month and a half or two on hormones. I flew to LA pre-COVID, like directed this music video for a few days and but i was like you know i was only out to a couple close friends none of the people there on the shoot really knew you know once it started being more public and i changed my name and stuff i just like i don't do in-person shoots and i will now like i'm i'm good now i'm like i'm like ready to be out in the world again 
unfortunately in that time, no one really hires me to shoot stuff anymore. So I have to like get new clients for that kind of stuff. But having said that, um, yeah, I really did think I was going to have to change careers. I figured like, I figured it was just going to be too hard. You know, I was going to go through this. I was going to alienate myself in some way or another. And I would just have to like, you know, go to like beauty school, learn to cut hair or something or like, you know, and I was kind of interested in the idea of like living a smaller life. I didn't know if I'd be able to travel, you know, I traveled three months out of the year, almost every year, 2019, I traveled four months almost out of that year. You know, they're like countries that as a trans person, I kind of can't really go to. It's gotten to the point where I, I, I like, you know, uh, quote unquote pass well enough, um, that I, I probably can now. I don't really have to worry about it. I just have to worry about it as a woman, not as a transgender woman. Right. Um, which is just, you know, a whole, whole other thing. But yeah, so I just assumed that like, you know, my, my travel filming career as I knew it was over. What I wasn't expecting is as soon as the COVID unemployment stuff for freelancers ended in like August of last year or July or whatever, at that exact moment, I got reached out to by the San Francisco Symphony, whom I have been working for ever since in a freelance capacity. I'm, I'm a, just one of, the, one of their primary content editors doing all their documentary series stuff because arts institutions like the Symphony have to go digital right now. Yeah. So their entire 2021 season is all online. They've launched a subscription program and everything, and we're doing documentary stuff and experimental performances. And like, as a music video director and shooter and editor, um, I think that's why they reached out to me. And so like, it's been really great. I wasn't planning on being out public all of last year, but I ended up, you know, things happened. A music video of mine came out and I was like, this is stupid. I'm not going to release a music video under my dead name. So might as well come out public. So I came out publicly, music video came out. And then like two months later, I'm on a, like a live Q and a with a couple awesome hip hop people in Oakland who were, were hosting a conversation amongst creatives for a project that we did with the symphony. And like, I edited those music videos. And so I was on there and it's just like, wow, I'm like, so I wasn't even supposed to be public yet. And here I am doing like a live broadcasted Q and a with like the, the director of the Oakland symphony and um, like Kev choice and like, <laughs> And and everybody's treating me normal. Everybody's just like, oh, this is Kara. And I'm just like, this is crazy. This is wild that like that that it it feels like nothing happened, you know. Um hell, I think I think people may be like me more now. <laughs> well you're not as much of a jerk as you used to be. You know, maybe that's what it is, right? Uh, no, I will say that you are you've always been Great. We've always been great friends. You used to be more taciturn. You know, you used to be a little more... What does that more, word even mean? <laughs> I don't know. It's just a word that you use in moments like this. To be smart? To make, you, to make you sound like you're super duper smart. It's kind of like, uh, you know, withdrawn a little bit sometimes. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, For sure. quiet. And you would go through phases where you just, you know, you know this, yeah. weren't super happy. Always great to be around, but always also sort of like, you know, going through stuff. You've been 
I isolatedly. I, yeah, I, you, I value the people in my yeah. life endlessly and like have had a lot of wonderful experiences and times with people. And then as soon as they're over, I just hermit. Yeah. Yeah. So I see less of that now. I mean, we're all hermiting because of COVID, but you've, you've been much, much happier. Oh know? yeah. I feel um, more, more part of the world during COVID than I ever have at any point in my adult life. I talked to my mom a few months ago and she was like, I don't think I've heard you this happy since you were like six years old. And I'm like, wow, thanks for saying that, mom. Like that, that, you know, to like have someone see that um, is really nice. Mm-hmm. Thanks but again, yeah, mom. So the symphony has been freaking wonderful. And also it feels really good to be doing something for like, you know, I have always seen the, the symphony as a whole, you know, and I've traveled around Europe a ton and been to um, like symphony halls and opera houses and things and, in in Austria and um, and in Paris and stuff like that. And I've always seen the and symphony Iceland. and Iceland. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, we've been to the that Iceland building symphony is Hall. incredible. It's a, yeah, totally. Symphony halls and, and, and opera houses and like ballet dance halls and stuff are such amazing buildings, especially in other parts of the world where everything's so old. But like I've always seen it as like this very rooted in patriarchy, rich, white establishment. Um, and I mean, let's be honest, it kind of kind of is. is, you know, and, and there are things that are changing about it though. You know, like the Oakland symphony, for instance, Michael Morgan has been, I don't even know how many decades he's been there. Like when I was a child in the Bay area, he was the director of the Oakland symphony, I believe. And, but yeah, so like he's, he's, been doing great things for for bringing diversity to the the symphony and um and i think it's amazing that like the san francisco symphony like they they hire me to edit their content at the same time that they're doing documentary series about combining the symphony with other cultures and we've done one on um on mexican folk music we did one on on bay area indie hip-hop where we made some like really awesome music videos for two collaborations between these hip hop artists and, um, and the symphony. And we did one on, on Chinese traditional music. And um, I, we just released one on like Pakistani uh, tabla player, you know, collaborating with the symphony. And I'm doing one about native American culture right now. And the next one's about Zimbabwean culture. And it's like really cool to, to be putting these things together and like knowing that these are all going out. Like I have seen the symphony's Facebook profile take hate from their patrons for posting black lives matter stuff, you know? And like, I, you know, a lot of people would say like, yeah, like the bar's pretty low. Um, but like, to me, like when we did the jazz episode, that was the first time I saw it. I saw it. Tammy Hall, who's like a legendary piano player in the, the Bay Area. Um, she was playing with a mask on that said BLM, like on the mask, every shot of the main instrumentalist in this perform in these these three performances. Every time you see your face, BLM. And I'm just like, that's really great that the symphony is willing to put that messaging out there. And then the next episode was the hip hop episode and that Kev Choice video 
I think the the song is called Movement. And I think you can just find it on YouTube. Um, but like, you know, it's just a fairly like traditional kind of hip hop video, um, but with a lot of symphonic elements and stuff. And there's just so much BLM messaging. The whole freaking song is about the movement of of BLM and like, and it's just like so cool and then like to see all these people like i can't believe that you're getting behind this looks like i'm keeping my money this year and it's like good keep your money you're you're outdated as a person you need to get with the times it's not necessarily your fault where you came from but it's absolutely your fault for where you choose to go (laughs) that's not where we're going exactly yeah yeah you know we have a different destination yeah we um Let's talk about when we met. You were the DP and you helped direct and you created the storyline for the documentary Rise of the Sufferfests. A lot of listeners are part of the sort of endurance racing, Spartan racing crowd. So if you are, you're likely familiar with this documentary. We met when you were shooting that. Uh, How do you feel about that film now? Is that something that you can include in your sort of collected works or is that something that you have to isolate out and say that was the before times? I mean, I've done a pretty good job reclaiming my history so far. It's an ongoing mm-hmm. process, but like, yeah, I mean, I've also directed music videos that I've been like the lead in that I've been like the person, right. you know, yeah. camera. So it's like, do I want to watch those? No. Do I cringe whenever I see myself on on a project like Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely but like it doesn't not exist for me anymore you know it's like okay the thing there and like um yeah i'm i am i'm proud of rise of the sufferfest and i like always will be because before the big production company came and gave us all the funds to finish and hired us an editor and everything that was like scott and his wild just like fly by the seat of his pants spontaneous ideas that all needed to happen right now and then yeah. me as the one person who actually knows how to make films and you two got it done yeah yeah, yeah. we we got it done you know and, and uh, scott has a uncanny ability to just reach out to people cold and get them on board with whatever he wants them to be on board with like he's it's a superpower yeah it's a legitimate superpower it's not just his charisma he's a very charismatic intelligent guy there's there's a it's a magic dust either have it or you don't he's shameless that's what it is is that what it is yeah he's he's shameless (laughs) scott is smiling big right now (laughs) he will go to anybody and say anything and just grin about it you know and and like that's that really is a superpower because i don't Mm -hmm. have that um, yeah, it, it's yeah. how you get things done. So we have a big idea and don't have the the resources to get it done. Anyway, I I haven't watched it in a while, but I haven't I'm, I'm proud of everybody involved with that for getting it done. Do you think that you will run another race? No. I mean, because it's infuriating how good you were. No, you didn't really work out per se at the time. You smoked pretty much like before the race, after the race. I think you pretty much ran with a cigarette in your mouth, but you still <laughs> dusted like 90% of everyone in those stadium races, yeah. including Scott and including me. I think the, the best race I ever had was like in the top 0.2% or something like that of finishers. Like I was like, I was like number 70 out of 7,000 or something like that. Was that the San Francisco uh, Vegas. stadium race? 
Oh, Vegas. But the San Francisco Stadium race was the last one that I ever ran. Um, okay. And I did pretty good in that one, too, I think. I, I was, like, top 2% for that. But, like, yeah, I just never really worked out. I just kind of, like, later in life, I became a really avid rock climber. Um, mm-hmm. But, no, I, my my racing days are done because, like, so I started making Rise of the Sufferfest. And this is, like, something that I've done a lot in my career is, like, I love being involved I hate just showing up, collecting a day rate, shooting some stuff and walking away. Like I like doing projects where I get to feel invested in it. And and so, you know, I like dove into this world and I was co-producer on this project and like went from someone who was just going to shoot some stuff to being the director of photography to being also a co-producer, you know, and like helping write mm-hmm. the thing and stuff like that. And like, um, and in the same time, I fell into the world. I quit smoking. I started running for the first time in my whole life. I'd never run more than a mile before, you know? And then like a few months later, was like running a lot of races <laughs> and yeah. like, and just like showing up and I would shoot for a half a day and then like take my shirt off and run the race and then like get my camera equipment and go home. And it was really fun. Um, I developed horrible IT band syndrome though. And so to this, I can't even hike more than five miles anymore. Like I followed James Appleton 60 miles in four days off trail, like hopping on boulders and stepping over bushes 60 miles, not just like necessarily a clean 60 miles. Um, And then now I just like a hike out here in Portland will leave me limping for a day and a half you know i've been to physical therapy and like it's hard to keep up with with pt you know but Mm -hmm. um but i tried pretty hard and you know it would always get me like one good run and then the next one would hurt again and i'm just so i was just like running is not my thing anymore i'm 36 years old and i got crappy knees so whatever as long as it doesn't affect my climbing or regular life or walking it's fine so you dove into that you became an athlete and that is such a, a cool, like you said, you weren't just doing it for the day rate because you're invested, you're passionate about your craft. Mm-hmm. You also did something similar. You've shot amazing videos for bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The Family Crest. Y'all, if you haven't heard The Family Crest, go to Apple Music or Spotify or your local record store and, you know, uh, Family Crest, The Family Crest. Wonderful, wonderful band. Uh, and dear friends of yours as well. So you dove into that. Not only did you shoot the videos and and uh, concept videos and work with the band, you were in some of the videos. Then you started playing music yourself. Mm-hmm. Then you got into playing music. And whoa, who knew? But this is so maddening. Scott, you're listening to this. You agree, right? Cars just good at everything and it sucks. <laughs> it's so <laughs> frustrating. Um, so you start playing music and like a week later, you're really good and you have bands. Yeah. It's it's crazy. I have, so, a, I have a band. Yeah. Let's talk about your band. Um, well, we, we, we put together a bunch of stuff. We had a, like, you know, started writing a bunch of originals. We're called Die Right. The only thing we have right now is, um, is a SoundCloud just like soundcloud.com forward slash die right, I think, D I E R I G H T. You know, and it's like pop rock, like like Beatles, Jellyfish, Old Weezer, The Cars kind of stuff. Um, 
I'm a drummer. I love the cars. That's been real fun. But like, you know, we like got a rehearsal studio out here in Portland and put together a bunch of songs and put together this demo that's on SoundCloud right now. And then we like started booking shows and we we played a handful and then COVID happened. So, so like that is on hiatus. But once COVID's over, we're going to put the band back together. I have other people I play music with. It's been, it's been real fun. And I'm still still doing it. It's like it's great. But yeah, I um I also like, you know, with the family crest, I like I followed them on tour a bunch to do photo work mm-hmm. for them. Um we spent six weeks in Austria and Germany a couple of years ago together. I've done US tours with them. I've shot a bunch of stuff like for potential documentary work about their recording process because they record with hundreds of people around the country. And so I like I went on a month long recording tour as they were putting together the record that's about to come out. That's an amazing record. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. When's that record coming out? I have no idea. It was supposed to come out the month COVID happened. It was supposed to come out like you, March. You just last. said about to come out. And now um, you're saying you have no idea. Yeah. I've Which just, is it? I've heard that it's, that it's going to be soon. <laughs> I've heard. That's like, you know, that's. Post COVID, when Family Crest gets to LA, we're going to have a super nice club. Anybody in the club that's in the LA area, we're all going to that show. Yes. Because yes. I'm telling you, the Family Crest is, I don't care what kind of music you listen to. This is just mesmerizing, mind blowing musicianship. The Family Crest. I'm going to say it last time the Family Crest. <laughs> They uh, they're and they're also like kind of a spectacle band too. Like if you just get a record and listen to it, you're just like, wow, this is really great. This singer's got amazing pipes. But like then you go onto YouTube and you start looking up some of their footage and stuff. Um, you know, they played a house show at my house seven or eight years ago, and there's a song on there from that and it's just like wow that's really amazing but then you see them in actual real life and it's just like a whole other level it's just they're like one of one of the 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 greatest joys of of my career and the the singer is like essentially my best friend and liam he uh you know when i had my face surgery six weeks ago um i recovered at at he and laura's house and um they took care of me and took me on walks and and stuff like that and we fight a lot when we when we do projects together because he's a very strong creative mind and it sometimes it takes me a little bit longer than i'd like to admit to change directions once my head is like once my mind has wrapped itself around something if you like oh hey we're not gonna go here we're gonna go do this instead i might have a small breakdown on the inside for like 60 seconds. Um, and in that time I could, I could be argumentative. <laughs> oh, I, I worked with you yeah. at a classic shoot in, uh, Texas once. <laughs> <laughs> he <was good. laughs> That happened about every five minutes. Yes. That was tough. Um, yeah, we both kind of broke. Was, yeah, we <laughs> did. I have a photo from that trip of you looking like you're just done with life. <laughs> and I think it might be like a moment where you really decided to change some things up in your in your greater plan. Yeah, it was. I did. Yeah, yeah it was a career change. You're wearing, definitely you're wearing that like moment. mustard shirt. Um, that mustard, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, so, yeah, you know, we haven't <laughs> talked about this at all, but you mentioned six weeks ago, uh-huh. uh, you got a new face. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
It's just incredible. Um, in the in the words of in the words of paraphrasing, there's a trans woman YouTuber called ContraPoints, um, who's pretty amazing. I haven't seen all of her videos. I've seen a couple, but she did one about beauty and like beauty standards in society and stuff. And it's centered around the fact that she was six weeks out from facial feminization surgery, and um, and she was like, you know, like it looks natural. You want to leave them thinking like maybe she's born with it or maybe a surgeon peeled her face off and fixed her shitty skull. <laughs> and it's like, that's, that's what I tell people, you know, it's just when you go through a testosterone puberty, when you're 13 years old, you get like lumpy bits. You get like little protrusions on your jaw and your chin's wider than normal and your nose gets bigger and you get a brow bone. And, um, it's just all this stuff, like all the lumpy stuff that testosterone puts on your skull. And so they literally take your face off and just get rid of the lumpy bits. <laughs> it's not a painless process. It's, it's very painful, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> not a painless process. And you're six weeks out, but it's going to be six more months before seven all the weeks, side? I'm seven weeks okay. now. Um, yeah, 80%, 75, 80% of the swelling is gone by, by mm -hmm. six weeks. And then it takes the rest of the year for it to like completely settle. So as you see me now, and as people see me um, on whatever thumbnail gets posted on the internet, um, mm -hmm. that's like, you know, still pretty swollen. But I'm the only one who really can tell. And you, I mean, you can't even really tell because you've never had the final product finished face. Like you don't really know exactly. Yeah. I don't know be, where the end right? is. Like I can feel, yeah, yeah. I can feel, I always had kind of a square chin. Um, mm -hmm. I can feel this like pointy little chin underneath my skin. But having said that, I don't know what it's going to look like because it's like, yeah, it's pointer than it used to be, but there's a lot of like swelling and stuff. So I don't know what the final shape of my chin's going to be. And it's just like weird in three or four months, I'll like see what my actual jaw shape is like, you know, just yeah. stuff like that. So it's very weird. You know, it's, it's been a strange six weeks because like every, every week or so I look in the mirror and I look different. Sometimes I see myself in the mirror and literally think it's someone else. Like it's, it's so strange. Um, well, this was a hugely invasive surgery, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Can you just recall and retell the sort of moment when you finally, I mean, there's a, there's a literal unwrapping, isn't there? For sure. Yeah. So I want to like, yeah. I want to preface something real fast for listeners. Um, Todd and I are under an agreement that like, I'm willing to talk about this stuff. Like we already know that, that I'm going to talk about this. Um, Please, please don't go to your trans friend and ask them about surgeries. Please don't, don't do that. It's medical history. Like if you don't go up to your friend who had cancer and like, wow, so what was the surgery like? Did it hurt? Was it invasive? Blah, 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 blah. Like don't ask your, your cis friend like, hey, how big is your penis? Um, you know, or like, do you have both of your testicles? Like yeah. these, these are things that we don't ask anybody else in our lives. We, so like, as far as, as I am concerned and most people, this is like just medical history, but like, I personally kind of have felt that it's important to share this journey because there are a lot of things 
like facial feminization surgery that are very closely tied to the public perception of plastic surgery. And a lot of people think, I'm sure a lot of people think that what I went through is like a cosmetic procedure that like, you know, I just want to be pretty and all this stuff. But like, really what it comes down to is like, this is medically necessary stuff because every time I looked in the mirror, I saw a boy, even though everybody Mm -hmm. in my life is like, like, wow, you look amazing. Like I, this is crazy. You know, and I've had people say things like they didn't, they couldn't believe that I was like born any other way or whatever, but it's just like, that's all great. I have 35 years of trauma (laughs) that I'm like getting over and my face is literally how I interact with the world. And if I'm not confident in my face, I'm not confident interacting with people. And I'm 35. I don't have my entire high school and college and young adult life to like really learn all of this stuff, you know, um, got to make up for lost time. So, well, that's a great, I I appreciate you having that framing that that way, because this is the conversation to listen to in lieu of asking those questions exactly. of the people around you. This is the service being provided by this podcast is here's the experience from someone who is willing to talk about it. Yes. But that doesn't mean that everybody going through this experience is willing to talk about it. So tread very, very respectfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just ask, mm-hmm. you know, gently, what are you, what do you, you know, if you're really curious and someone who's really close to you, they'll probably express exactly what they're willing to share. Mm-hmm. You probably won't have to ask anything. Yep. They'll probably volunteer it, right? So fair to say? Yeah, I mean, maybe, yeah. or they won't. Yeah. And if they don't, yeah. don't pry because it's theirs to share or not. <laughs> um, but yeah. Okay, so anyway, what was the moment? <laughs> so uh, what was the question? Oh, when when you were because I I know this is a significant moment, and I know from, oh, from our discussion it's a traumatic moment. The the unwrapping, yeah. But this is this isn't for for people who aren't going through it. To me, this question so much as for people who are considering going through it, kind of giving them an idea of of what to expect um, and and the emotional state. Okay, so this was awful. <laughs> This was really awful for me. Um, I, I was, I was a nervous wreck going into the surgery. I have a very high pain tolerance and the first week post surgery I did with pretty much no painkiller support, just ibuprofen and Tylenol. I took a couple halves of, of a painkiller, um, because there's one afternoon where I just sat in a dark room because you're, you're pretty much bedridden, you know, um, your head's all wrapped up like a Q-tip. Um, you just feel swollen. You are swollen. You just feel like your head's a balloon. You know, you have stuff up your nose. You can't breathe through your nose. So you're breathing through your mouth and your mouth is always dry. You have the whole bottom half of your mouth is an incision from molar to molar in your gums because that's how they get to your chin. So it's like, imagine if they do your wisdom teeth, but just keep Mm -hmm. going all the way around to your other wisdom teeth. So it's like, so your mouth is kind of messed up. You're on a liquid diet. You're just like, and the pain was like so severe 
and the discomfort is mostly discomfort, but the pain and discomfort combined are just so unbearable. I just like sat on the bed, staring at the floor for like two straight hours, just crying. And like, that's not something that I do for pain. Like this is not, I'm, I'm very good at being in pain, you know? And um, so I was surprised by this and like, so ready to get the bandages taken off um, and have some semblance of a normal life. And then they took the bandages off on my second post-op appointment a week from the surgery. And I saw my face for the first time and it was horrifying because of like the position of swelling and the fact that your skin looks like hell because it's been covered for like days. You know, it's blotchy, it's discolored. You have bruising probably just everything's a weird shape. You'll have like a bunch of swelling in your chin, but not in your lips. So your lips look tiny. It's kind of like, you know, those like funny um, carnival mirror filters on your phone Mm -hmm. that like you can like in, in Snapchat where you can like, you know, look at yourself and it makes your like the center of your face really tiny or changes your head into like ridiculous shapes and stuff. Like you look like that in real life. And, um, I, yeah, they handed me a mirror and I was like, wow, you should have never showed me this. Like I, Mm. I spent the first two weeks after the surgery thinking like, did I make the wrong decision? Um, But I knew I didn't. I went to like the guy who runs the practice that he took over from the person who invented facial feminization surgery, you know? So it's like, I knew I was in good hands, but holy crap, is it scary? Like your face is your whole identity. And I was, I was telling someone leading up to this surgery and it's like even more potent now that I've been through it because it was so much harder than I even thought it would be. Um, But I'm just like, if anybody ever has any questions about the validity of trans people, it's the fact that they're willing to do things like, for instance, have being cut from ear to ear and having their entire scalp separated from their skull so that you can have your hairline lowered a half of an inch and then have your like gums cut from molar to molar so that they can peel your face off of your chin and like reshape it and go through this super long process. I'm still numb in like half of my face. It's gonna take the rest of the year to get feeling back. I drool when I eat sometimes, you know? And like going through all of this, not only am I like, I paid more than a Tesla for this procedure in cash, Mm -hmm. because most insurance companies don't cover this. They cover a lot of things, but they don't necessarily cover this. Um, it's slowly getting there, but like, but not only was I paying that much money to go through so much hell, but I was looking forward to it. Like every Christmas and birthday I've ever had combined. And I still think it's the best money that I've ever spent, you know? And it's just like, this is what we get. Like I could have bought a boat. (laughs) I could have bought a Tesla. I could have had a down payment for a house. Like I could have, I could have done a lot of things with that money, but instead I like, I put myself at what I see as like the basic level of the basic playing field that like every cis woman gets inherited by birth. And that's like the ability for people to look at me and say, ma'am, instead of sir. Wow. So if you're, if you're new to this whole conversation, this idea, also keep in mind that this is a real 
mental health burden on so many young people and, and older people, but there are a lot of suicides. There are a lot of teen suicides. There, what are the, do you have any of that in mind, the, the, the numbers on that? I don't, I don't have the numbers on it, um, yeah. but like I do have some numbers of certain things. I, I think it's something like 60% suicide attempts. Uh, I think I think 60% uh, of all trans people have at some point attempted suicide. So consider that. Consider that if if 60%, it's a staggering number. It doesn't matter, any percent, right? But consider that a lot of transgender people attempt suicide at some point. That means it's real. This is a real struggle. This is not remotely close to a vanity project. This is something that is 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 impacting lives in the most profound way. And if you're out there and you have um, had truly suicidal thoughts, you understand, mm-hmm. right? You understand the the depth of this. And I think that part of the the idea of this of talking with you is just being one of hopefully millions of conversations around this that are just attempting to get people to have a little more empathy and attempting to get people to understand that this isn't a, a choice to have this internal battle, to have this, this misalignment. I don't know if that's an okay way to put it within. This is something that, that, that people are really and truly battling with it. And isn't part of a super nice world, a world in which we help everyone not have struggles like this, whatever those struggles may be, where if somebody's feeling so, out of place that they contemplate or commit suicide, shouldn't we as a society be dedicating resources to um, stepping out in front of that? Yeah. I'm saying, yeah. Here's a, while you were just saying that, I decided to look up some stuff. I just did like a quick yeah. little Google search and you know, there's a lot of studies from a lot of different places. Um, and I've seen in teens, um, more than half of transgender males have attempted suicide. 40%, like high 30s, 40% of transgender women teens have have attempted suicide. 40%, 45% of non-binary teens have attempted. Um, 90% of all trans people have seriously considered suicide. Damn near all of us. Um, I, here's another great statistic. This is why I thought I wasn't going to really have a career when I got through this is as I was starting, I read a study that had been done that said one in every two trans women has or is currently surviving off of sex work. Wow. That's 50%. That is like half of us, half of us feel that like selling our bodies to people who fetishize us Mm -hmm. uh, is our only way of making enough money to really make ends meet or to be able to afford these super expensive surgeries because like the idea of having a good, well-paying, respected job is like fantasy to a lot of trans people, especially like, you know, I live in Portland. I live in the most trans friendly place in the world. And I also work for myself and I work for arts institutions and things like that. So it's just like my bubble is the most progressive forward thinking bubble possible. Can't imagine if you're living in freaking Texas or Georgia or wherever else, you know, you're um, where it's just like, wow, 
I want to be able to survive and feed myself and also like get hormones. So I'm going to start having sex with people or going on, on like a camming site, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, and I got to say that tracks too, because like, I would say more than half of the trans people I know have done sex work, like in really? personally, like yeah. in real life, more than half of them have. So what advice do you have for somebody listening who's considering transitioning in some fashion, but they don't have any support, you know, no friends, family, anyone. Oh gosh. Um, is it online support, Reddit? Should they, should they move to a community like Portland? Do you have any advice on where to start? Um, yeah. I think that the, the, it all starts with personal acceptance. Personal acceptance doesn't necessarily happen in a vacuum. You need to mm -hmm. talk to and see other people like you to understand that you're not a mutant, you're not a freak, you're not a monster. Like all of these things are things that I have felt like in the last two years, you know, I have like really felt like I just don't belong on this planet, but like you do. And, and there, um, there are places to go. There are LGBT centers in most major cities. So you can reach out to them my personal experience with that is that sometimes like you end up with a higher concentration of like people who are a little bit more like on the rundown side of life. And, and it's, it could be, it could be triggering and difficult to be around people who are struggling so hard. It could also be very empowering. It depends on what your situation is. There's, if you're not the in-person kind of person, like I have had a lot of social anxiety through most of my life. Um, which is oddly like mostly gone now, <laughs> um, which is so funny because that's not odd at all. That's the whole reason. I mean, that's that the whole, yeah, yeah, this is the whole reason I went through this where it's just like, I still haven't gotten over all of my own stuff about being trans. I'm still like, you know, I'll be wearing something around my house, like really super comfortable, but like, you know, like right now underneath this hoodie, I have like a mid drift, like tank top on. Cause it's like practically springtime right now. And I'm just like chilling at my house, doing whatever, working, playing video games. And then I'll like walk out to my car and immediately feel self-conscious. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm showing off more of my body than I've ever shown off before. What are people going to think? Like, oh, that's not a real girl. You know, like all this stupid mm -hmm. stuff that I still need to finish working out on my own. And the only way to get past all that is to just like build a community however you can. And Reddit is great. Do searches on Reddit. There are people posting there all the time of like, I feel like I might be trans, but I can't, I'm not sure. But how do I know? You know, right. like, questions that everybody really kind of asks themselves. And, and then there are people who like, who are in that situation also, or people who had just got out of that situation who like, you know, finally like went through the self-acceptance work and like, like, well, here's how I knew. And then you get to talk to those people. And like, most of them are really open and accepting to direct messages. So you can privately talk to people. That's how I ended up doing the face surgery. I met someone on Reddit who had gone to that doctor. And I thought she was one of the most beautiful girls I'd ever seen. And I was like, wow, like, that's really amazing. And she shared her whole experience with me. And like, progress photos and all this stuff. So I knew what the healing process was like. I knew what I was getting into more or less. Um, mm -hmm. And I never would have really like 
had the kick in the pants to do this thing if it wasn't for this stranger who has now become an instrumental person in my life. And you no doubt look forward to being able to repay that by being that person for someone else. Absolutely. I even reached out to the surgeon and I said, if you have people who, cause I had a meltdown, I had an existential crisis that lasted almost two weeks post this surgery. When I was like, what is happening to my face? I thought I was going to like, not look this crazy, you know? And, and it's just so hard. It's so hard to go through something like this. I can't even describe it. And um, so I reached out to the, the, surgeon's office and was just like, by the way, if you have people who are having a hard time, I would not have made it through it nearly as gracefully if it wasn't for like the three girls that had been through it that I was talking to. And every time I like panicked of like, oh my God, I just feel like I'm such a balloon. Like I look like a freaking, I don't look human. Mm -hmm. And having these people talk me off a cliff and be like, don't worry. Like, yeah, like that's how it is but like give it like a week and all of a sudden you're going to see a spark of something and you're going to like slowly start falling in love with your own face again. And I'm like, okay, okay. Like, you know, like these people helped me. And so I just like, I want to be that for other people because like you got to lift each other up. It was never on my list to like, to be as like loud and vocal about this. But once I started doing it, I just realized that like, the time for like just slipping off into the into obscurity and just like living your life silently in my opinion is like that's 50 years from now <laughs> that's 30 years from now that's like however long it's gonna take you know and it's just like we're we're 30 years removed from the 80s and like um and like the peak of the the beginnings of the gay rights movement and people being very loud in San Francisco and the AIDS epidemic and stuff. We're like 35, 40 years from that. Are gay people fully integrated into society? No, they're still discriminated against. People still have their shitty opinions and like mm -hmm. they're holding on to them for dear life. Um, you know, there's still work to be done and it's just like trans people right now are where gay and lesbian people were in like 1983. <laughs> right. And, uh, and so it's like, now we have our 40 year struggle while people who aren't trans decide whether or not I'm allowed to use a women's restroom or if I should be using a men's room. I mean, come on, like, look at me. I think the pace, if I walk I into a men's room, I would get freaking, it would not go well. Like it just, it wouldn't <laughs> like, yeah. Like, what do you what do you have to say to those who don't get it? Like they're not necessarily opposed to your decision or to transgender. They just don't understand. Do you? I want. Here's what I'm curious about. Do you feel a need to have them understand? My my what I say to people who don't get it is like, mm -hmm. respectfully, this is not really something for you to get. Okay. You're not going to get it. You just aren't like, do you, I mean, oh, I guess you're, you're smarter than the average cookie. I think, is that a phrase? Or, I don't was thinking of cookie, cookies, cookies being that smart, smart. So, so that's a fair statement. Smarter yeah. than the average bear. Sharp is a cookie. Uh, <laughs> but like, but how many people truly understand like anything about our world or our universe? 
do you really need to understand Einstein's theory of relativity and gravity and our knowledge of light and the cosmic speed limit? Like, do you need to understand those things in order to operate and abide by those rules? Do you need to understand how gravity works in order to be able to run and do parkour and stuff? Like, no, you just like operate under those circumstances. And so what I would say is like, it's just not for you to understand. It's like, we exist. We, there are as many trans, my, I think there are as many trans people on this planet as there are redheads. There's like, there are like two and a half, three percent of the world's population is redheads. And right now the statistics are between a half a percent and one percent are gender non-conforming people. But that's like just the people who have like answered the questionnaires. There are so many people out there and it's just like, I'm here in this process for the last year and a half because I feel like I can go through this process while still being a member of society and not having to sell my body. And like, I don't have to necessarily worry about getting murdered and I can travel to Turkey and visit my family there without being worried about getting beaten up or arrested Mm -hmm. or whatever. Like, And that's only now do I feel that way. Therefore, I'm transitioning because it's safe. It's like it's like post nuclear Holocaust, like I'm coming out of my little cave and poking my head up and looking around and being like, is it safe to come out? And I think a lot of people are doing that right now. And it's not a trend. It's not a thing. This is like not a fun process. Like it's, yeah, it's fun to discover yourself and it's fun to play with things that you've always wanted to play with. And it's fun to like learn and daunting to like learn makeup and to like, you know, just like learn how to express yourself in a way that you feel like you've sat on the sidelines your whole life. Like there are so many beautiful things about it. And also like the strength that you get by going through it makes you quite a person, you know, and, and, and you can really stand on your own two feet. And the trans people I know are some of the people that I respect the most because of knowing how freaking strong they are. Having said that, I don't know if any one of us would like, if someone could be like, Hey, if we could just go back in time, just give you like a cis woman's body at birth, would you take it? Every one of us would be like, hell yeah, we would, because this is a pain in the, in the ass. Um, this is not like something that we're doing for attention or fun because it's harder than anything most people do ever. And it takes a half a decade just to like get through the basics of it. This is, this is not like you don't make that decision lightly. You don't, you don't go through that process and have everybody I will ever meet who finds out that I'm trans immediately judge me in some way or another. Um, this is not a novelty. Like we're here and we exist. And that is just like, it's just not for someone else to get because cis people are cis people. I don't know what it's like to be cis. I don't need someone to prove it to me. I would just add to that, that it's, just, this is how we do. We do, we treat other communities and cultures with respect. You don't have to get, a uh, certain Latino culture or African culture or 
Icelandic or gay culture to respect it, mm -hmm. right? And, and none of us feel compelled that we have to get it unless we're fascinated with that particular culture or we're visiting it or it's part of our family, right? Mm -hmm. But you respect it. We respect each other. So this is just another community to respect. So if you're listening and you don't understand what would drive someone to do such a thing, that's okay. It's cool. But don't make life harder for these people. Respect them. The simple, the simplest way of thinking about it is just trans women are women and trans men are men. There's no other way to think about them. There we go. I like simple. And, and also like non-binary people, like I, I'm just, cause I am um, a binary gender like that. Mm -hmm. That's how I identify. That's how I feel. Um, I have no idea what it's like to be non-binary it like literally doesn't make sense to me. It like, it just doesn't, but it doesn't mean that I question its existence. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm in the same camp as you when it comes to, to NBs, you know, and I love them. And as like a community of people and I, I accept them fully as, as like my siblings in, in like gender nonconformity. And if anything, it's like because they're envies and and because like because people have an even harder time grasping that because it's just like they at least understand what I'm aiming for. They understand the way I'm presenting myself as being like, oh, car is a female, you know, right. But like, right. you know, people who are non-binary um, and like androgynous have been equally made fun of throughout the history of media think about like saturday Night live and the pat sketch and stuff where it's like right. just not being able to tell if someone's a man or a woman is like a joke and um in the same way that being assigned something at birth and then switching sides you know quote unquote is equally a joke and has been in media so it's just like non-binary people like refer to them as they and them or whatever they want. Just like, again, we do it for people's pets. <laughs> we can do it for people. Yeah, it's true. And we we don't, can do it we for don't need pets. to know. What I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would do it for, for cats though. I do it for dogs. You know, cats, uh, they're sent here to decimate the human race. And this is something that not a lot of people think about. <laughs> That. <laughs> okay. We're not this uh, okay. Cats too. Cats too. I love cats too. It, it's a it's a long running joke. Sorry. To, sorry to bring you into it. Um, I think that you know each episode we do this this challenge, and I, you've got so many challenges already put out there uh, for folks on on just how to show respect. But do you have a specific challenge, a super nice club challenge uh, for the listeners and the members I of the do. super nice club? Immediately. All right. I have a challenge. All right. This is not for me. This is not for trans people. This is for you. This is for the, the yeah. listener. This is to benefit you. I would spend my, my super nice club challenge is to sit down and think about all of the things that you were taught through your culture, whether it be gender roles, whether it be what constitutes success, whether it be relationship styles and um, things like monogamy or whatever. Um, just think about all of the stuff 
that we follow almost entirely because it's just how it's done. Like, there's no real reason. Like, why do we do this? Oh, just because that's how it is, you know? Think about all those societal rules that we follow that you don't really necessarily have um, have reasons for and and just examine them in your life and, like, spend some real time, whether it's a couple sessions of a half hour or whatever, just meditate on it. Maybe, like, grab a piece of paper and write about it, Um about why you do some of these things. Because I think a lot of people just kind of like, a lot of people don't have a real reason to question, like question authority on stuff like this. And there are just so many things that we just do because it's what society's always done. And the question is like, is it still, is that right? Is it still applicable? Our forms of of relationships and our model for marriage, um, you know, are our cultural priorities still relevant today, even though they were set up decades or centuries ago? I myself have just gone through and am still going through a long process of examining these things. And that's like, that's what a lot of being trans is, is just like, wow. So like if my whole existence is bucking some kind of a norm, what other things have I been taught as a kid or just through movies and media, my standards of beauty, my, you know, all of the things Mm -hmm. that just, that just, that we don't even ask questions about. And I've had to ask questions about them. And it's been, it's been very mind opening to be like, oh my gosh, I don't need to do this either. So it's like, there's so many things that you can just throw out into the trash, just live the life that you want to live, be who you want to be. And, you know, you had Ilan Rubin on here as a guest and he's got a song on his new record. The chorus is catchy as heck. And it's just like, actually, I guess it's the pre-chorus, but it's like, you can be whoever you want to be and that's who you are. You don't have to do anything other than just be that. Like there is no process to it. The thing is, is that like our minds are, are all jailed up. So my, my super nice challenge is to just like put a little time into your life, examining the things that we just never bothered to examine and figure out, am I living the life that I want to live? Am I doing the career that I want to do? Or am I doing this because I felt pressure to please my parents my entire life? Or I grew up in a society where having this kind of a job is what makes me valuable because the truth is you're valuable no matter what you do for a living. And it's, so it's like, not just about gender, it's just any, any metric of your entire life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, are you doing it cause you want to do it? Or are you doing it cause you feel like you have to, to keep up? Wow. That's a big challenge. That's a, that's a, a big rabbit hole for a lot of people, a really scary thing to do mm-hmm. uh, for folks. I, I it kind of sounds like you're asking people to, to um, have you heard of first principles thinking? I, what I'm asking people to do is make sure that they're living with intention. Yeah. Well, we, what, what you were talking about was so great because I, folks, if you haven't heard of first principles thinking, you know, Google it and I, I'm going to probably butcher it. But basically, like Kari just said, most of us grow up and we sort of learn to exist with a lot of principles, um, a lot of sort of assumptions about life, and we don't validate these assumptions, right? They, they're just like, this is how it is. 
Um, first principles thinking asks, uh, asks us to go back and sort of reverse engineer these things all the way back to the beginning and ask some pretty big questions, just like Har asked, uh, mentioned. Just because it's like something's always been done that way doesn't mean that's the way it should be done, right? Uh, kids are often taught, they ask questions and, and the answer from the teacher is, ah, that's just how it is. We gloss over a lot of things in life. Uh, and then all of a sudden we end up as adults with a lot of our learning being done uh, without a lot of personal examination. That can be a real big eye-opener. You were talking about, you know, some things around, um, I don't know, marriage, relationships, some of our expectations of these things. Um, where do those expectations come from? Are they our actual expectations? We live in a world that's just 100% constructs. It's just full of constructs. And it depends on the town that you grew up in, the state that you grew up in, the overall region of the world that you grew up in. But it's just like these things were chosen for us. And... Mm -hmm. And like what a successful, I've, you've talked about this a lot on, on Instagram and stuff, like what constitutes a successful relationship? If you love someone for four years and then you break up amicably and you walk away a better person than when you entered that relationship, that was a successful relationship. Even though everybody's mm -hmm. like, oh, so sorry it failed, you know? And like there, there are different ways to think about everything and Every, every rule that we follow was set for us, even the unwritten ones were set for us by somebody out there. Someone, some group of people, some, some religious institution, some corporation, some government. So yeah, I just think that it's like, I feel almost privileged in a way to be going through this gender transition because it's forced me to think about like, wow, what has guided my life that I haven't chosen, that other people chose for me and I just follow those rules. And like my idea of what success is, how much money I felt I had to make, it, like all of these things. And so like, it's just a really wonderful, powerful thing to, to live a life that, that you choose that like, you know, you get to choose your own metric for success, for happiness, for all this stuff. Okay, so challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. I don't know when I'm going to do it, but I'll do it. And it's uh, it's a great challenge to do. I'll think about, uh, I'll probably come out of it just doubting everything in a complete <laughs> mess. And I'll, and I'll give you a call. How's that? <laughs> That's fine, yeah. All right. And then... Um, Anybody doing this exercise can call me and I will guide you through a come down process and let you know that it's going to be okay. And the world's really like, it's scary when no one's telling you how to be right. or how to live or what to do or who you need to be in the world. But once you make those decisions for yourself, it's pretty fun. <laughs> um, did you know that if you put... If you have like a, a screwdriver and a screw that looks a little bit worn mm -hmm. and you put a rubber band and kind of push it over the top of the screw and then put your screwdriver on there, it'll help you get that stripped screw out. Oh, wow. And add like friction to friction. it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Isn't that a cool tip? I like that. Yeah. It's apropos of nothing. So do you have a question for me? Do I have a question? Every, every guest gets to ask one question of, uh, you get to be the, the host for just for one question. Oh, Wow. Okay. Yeah. I remember being prompted about this and I didn't do any of the work. Um, yeah, that's right. I showed up to class unprepared. 
my question for you, I guess, I don't know. We're, we're just, we're like, since we've talked about trans stuff so much, um, might as well run with that. I want to know what's your experience. Like, am I, am I the first trans person that you've been close to? And what do you find as a cis person who, mm-hmm. who has not been super familiar with the, with the trans world, what is something that you have found very surprising that you have learned from me going through this process and sharing it with you? Mm. Uh, I have known other transgender people mm-hmm. in my life and you're the first one I've been close to. Um, surprising. I, I think my surprising thing is similar to something you mentioned earlier, which was just built-in prejudices that I didn't know that I had or built-in assumptions. You know, you and I have had conversations, right? I'm like, how, how does this work? I don't know. You know, the women in sports conversation, all these different things. I didn't know how I felt about these things. And it didn't mean that I felt one way or the other. I just literally was like, wow, I've never considered this or I haven't considered it thoroughly. I've really only formed my opinions based on sort of errata that crosses through the internet that I'm paying attention to out of the corner of my eye. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so that's my opinion on that thing? <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think it's just my level of ignorance was, I don't know that it's surprising to me, but it's the thing that's been the most impactful is that I've had to reassess yeah, I just had to reassess prejudice and ignorance. There's a big difference between having the correct intellectual answer and understanding it. Yeah, absolutely. And internalizing the understanding. So I'm still internalizing the understanding around some of these things where I have the intellectual conversation. And sometimes I go, oh, I really get it now. And then the next day I'm like, wait, I thought it's it's slippery sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, there are a lot of people out there that aren't suited strongly for like critical thinking, whether, Mm -hmm. whether you didn't um, spend a lot of time learning it when you were young or like some people just have a a habit of following science topics and like reading, reading published papers, like scientific papers. I I personally read things out of scientific journals all the time. Um, But I also know that I'm kind of a rarity in that sense. Um, and I think that there's something that really helps with people that have to, that, that, that need to grasp all kinds of stuff because we, we build this idea of the world around us and sometimes it becomes a little rigid. And when we get new information, it challenges what we've built. So then we reject the information when really what we build needs to just be malleable. It needs to be made out of jello. And so what we, what would help a lot of people, I think, when it comes to, you know, human rights and the eye-opening way that minorities, racial minorities are treated instead of like, oh my gosh, this doesn't really go fit into my personal narrative and my experience of the world. Therefore, I need to reject this or push back even subtly against this. Like the person who was like kind of arguing against the whole trans women in sports thing with me where they like, you know, self-proclaimed didn't, didn't have skin in the game. 
But it's just like, then why are you putting all of this time into like arguing about it? And I think it's just because we, we, we put pressure against things that challenge our worldviews and something that I love and I'm not perfect at, um, but I try really hard is like, you know, I love it when, when I read an article about like some new deep sea creature that was discovered or something that was un- uncovered that like provides a, a new bridge between two species, or we just discovered a new exoplanet. We just, you know, and like, I love getting that information and thinking, wow, I now live in a world where that exists. And sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's some, some crazy sea monster that you like see a photo of it and you're like, this thing's terrifying. I can't believe I live in a world where this exists, you know? Um, but like, I think that like having that attitude um, will would behoove so many people and just make life in general a lot easier. When you're given new information, just swallow it up. Just be like, wow, I live in a world where this is a thing, you know, and it's not, it's not, it's not on you to, to do anything like by yourself about it. You know, it's just like, if a person like, yeah, I don't know if a black person tells you, this is my experience in life and this is how it's been hard for me. Then you say, wow, that's not how I imagined it. I need to, I need to, I need to pay attention to this. And so like, I think it just goes for everything. Not everyone's got the same experience in life as you. This is true. This is true. So it's, it's we, just accept everything. This new information something that maybe you don't understand as additive. Mm-hmm. Here's an extra added thing to your world. Yep. You know, and then, and then that's all you have to do. Yeah. You don't have to do anything other than that than, than, than respect its existence. You may think that the sea monster is scary and uh, will gobble you up if you get in the same pool, but it probably doesn't care about you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. Um, that was terrible analogy. But so we'll just move off of that right into um, you're going to help me with something. Sure. You're going to help me give away something. Ooh. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to remember to give away something during the podcast because – you know, I think that's what makes podcasts cool is when people get free stuff from them. Bum, 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 I think bum. that's what they say. Yeah. Um, so what should we give away? Let's give away. So um, you're bribing people? No, not bribing anybody. She's just a shirt. Okay. I mean, we live in a world. Bri- bribes work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So a member since always shirt, yeah, uh, like a blue one or a white one, your choice, listener, whatever size you want. So, but you have to help me give it away. I don't know what, what the rules are. Like, so they have to do something on Instagram. Make it all marketing savvy and smart. Oh, dude. Okay. You know, it grows the club and is cool and interactive. Like, what do they have to do? Okay. Um, hmm. Post a picture of a cat and tag Super Nice Club. Is it? So how, how involved do you want it to be? Because I was going to say, I was going to say, post a picture of, of your, yourself to Instagram um, or a picture, really a picture of anything. Just post a picture to Instagram, tag Super Nice Club, and talk about a a recent incident, or it doesn't have to be recent, just any incident where your perception of your reality was challenged and changed. All right, we'll take it. So that's all you have to do. Tag us, and then we'll do a random drawing through randomizer.org is what I think it is. Anyway, I just... 
put everybody's names in. I once thought that vegetarian burgers were garbage, and then I had an Impossible Burger, and it was actually really good. And now I accept that (laughs) I live in a world where you can have a non-meat burger that is satisfying. Still not very healthy for you, but that is fine. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so we're going to give away a Member Since Always shirt. they're sweet shirts. You can check them out on superniceclub.com. Just post up something. Um, For the record, I've be... always liked vegetarian burgers. I've, like, I love vegan food. So yeah. I love the Morningstar corn dogs. Really? They're veggie corn dogs. They're incredible. They're so good. But you got you to gotta actually put them in the oven. Don't cheat and microwave it. Bonus Let's point, be honest. put them in an air fryer. What's an air fryer? It's just something that some people have that I've heard of. Is that a as seen on TV thing? Uh, air fryer, it's like fries things without oil. Oh, uh, basically, you're like really you're hard. you're like pretty middle class or better if you have one. So, an air fryer. Yeah, I remember growing up. My neighbor had a toaster oven, and I thought that was like. Oh I God. still think they're fancy. That was Every so time I fancy. See someone who has a toaster yeah, oven. like if you have a toaster oven, and it was it was like when I was first coming into like thinking about. Well, you know, comparing things, like comparing all my secondhand clothes to my friends and starting to feel kind of weird about it. You know, my mom did her very best. She's fantastic. She just never made any money, you know. But you start to think about that stuff. Like, my friends are at Safeway. We're at the canned food outlet, right? So my neighbor in the same townhouse had uh, a toaster oven, Jason Miller. Yeah, and we would make... This is really boring podcast listening, but I'm just going to continue the thought. We would make pieces of toast and we put tomato sauce on them and then cheese and I don't know, maybe pepperoni, but we make these little pizzas all the time in that thing. Uh, and then one of us caught it on fire and that was the end of the toaster oven. But while it was there, oh my God. That, oh, and microwaves. Anybody who had a microwave was rich. <laughs> That'll, that dates me, but it's true. Yeah. yeah. If you had a microwave or a VCR, you were <laughs> super wealthy. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So what were <laughs> we talking about? We're doing the giveaway. Oh, with- yeah, we did the giveaway. So you guys understand, right? If you're still here, <laughs> post up something. We'll send you a t-shirt. I'll give away a couple of t-shirts. I'm feeling crazy today. And I'm just really grateful for having you on today, Cara. Really grateful for all of your just being so great as to share your experience. We've, we're laughing and stuff, but I, and it's, it's a super powerful, super emotional, super trying thing for you. And you're not done with it. You're still going to go through highs and lows. Of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody listening, Kara sounds really put together and, and she is, but this is part of the process and this is going to be uh, a process for, for years to come. Mm-hmm. I'm excited as her friend, though, just seeing and and feeling the complete rejuvenation of of her personhood over the past year. You know, because your friends, you know, we care about our friends, and when our friends are doing better, we're doing better. So I'm really I'm really happy for you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually having like one of the harder weeks I've had in a long time, but like yeah. Even then, I'm still more more present and more capable of of having like a positive conversation about life with you than like at any point in my adulthood. Even though I'm having well, a shit week, so I'm sorry you're having a shit week. <laughs> it's okay. 
You can call me after we stop recording. Um, and uh, thank you. Anybody, uh, are you available? You know, if somebody out there is going through this and they want to uh, absolutely, you and, I, I, am, okay. I am available and as responsive as I can be. Um, okay. You know, uh, and what's the best, what's the best method to get a hold of you through your Instagram page? Yeah, I would say, I would say Instagram at, at okay. Cara the Huntress. At Cara the Huntress. It'll be in the show notes, but just write that down. <laughs> K-A-R-A. And I, I think y'all can spell the and Huntress. I see y'all. Mm-hmm. It's just reflexive. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. Love you a bunch. And I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Love you so much. Stay super nice. That's my line. So there you have it. A super nice conversation with super nice Cara Lancaster. Yeah, I really hope, I really hope you got something from this conversation. And and, and I'd absolutely love to know what you thought. So please leave a comment on the related post on Instagram or Facebook. And and reach out to Cara. Reach out to Cara as well if you have any questions, if you're looking for guidance for your journey. Yeah, okay. Next week, next week we have prison reform activist Andrew D'Angelo who heads up the Last Prisoner Project. Andrew and uh, many, many others are working to bust out the, I think it's 40,000, something like that, 40,000 plus cannabis prisoners in the USA who have been convicted of an activity that's no longer a crime in their state, while thousands of people build billions of dollars in wealth doing exactly the same thing. It's a great conversation. It's a great conversation. And again, you know, maybe you think you already have your opinion formed on this topic. All we're asking, all I'm asking, all that Andrew is asking is that you lend an ear and just ask yourself which position will lead to a nicer world. All right. That's all we've got for today. Uh, except, I mean, did I, did I tell you that I love the pants off of you? I do. Yeah, you. Love the pants off of you. Mm so tired until next week stay nice everyone if you wanted to be nicer then you And you could see your neighbor's band If you wanted to be nicer Then you could put away your clothes You can teach everything you know And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice That you just become ten percent more nice. And all we ask.
ask is that you just become 10% more nice So what? Big deal.